Hebrews chapter 1. This is one of the most unique passages. Well, hi, Jody. I'm just see you there. It's good to see you. Welcome home. Uh, hi, good to see all of you. Uh, the snowbirds are coming back. That's good. Thank you. So we want to pick up this passage and look at this together. So we have an opportunity to see this incredible piece of uh, work. Now, we don't know who actually wrote the book of Hebrews um, because it's not signed. But most consider, most, most scholars over it consider that it was Paul. And Ellen White concludes, yes, it was Paul that wrote because of the style of that was written and the type of theology that we find within it. So even though it's unsigned, we will look and see how it plays out with Paul. So if you would find, we're going to look at the very first chapter of Hebrews chapter 1. And if you'll find the very first verse, and in the past, stop right there, in the past. Now, it's interesting that Paul, the writer here, he he didn't go on in this next few passages, next few verses, to put any verses in there to pump up his argument as he normally would do. Because he would quote from other places in scripture. But here as we look in there, he succinctly says the most powerful things in just a few verses. And it is so succinct that it quite evidently, he did not go to the preaching school that I went to, which told you you never do that. You need to explain more. So, you know, it's as, I, as a preacher, I would try to add. So what does it mean in the past? Well, it depends on your view, viewpoint. And if we're looking at Paul, he's looking in the past. What would be considered in the past? Well, the past would be anything past that came before him. And generally, when he was thinking about that, he was talking about the Old Testament. Speaking about the Old Testament, so in the past, he said, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. Stop there. The long list of prophets that are in the scripture, both those who wrote and those who did not, is long and lengthy. It's amazing that in our Bible, in the scriptures, that God chose to speak through many different people, isn't it? And even in the gospel story is shared by four different people. So the gospel, the, the history, the development of the scriptures, written by 39 different authors, written, speaks to the fact that God used many different people, many different prophets down through the ages. And as a result, we can see the confidence and the unity within scripture. We don't have that in the Quran. In the Quran, in Muslim, there's one, one prophet, one writer. But in the scriptures... We have 39 different writings, 39 different writers that produced. I often ask, who wrote most of the New Testament? People say, oh, well, Paul did, Paul did. No, 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 Luke did. Word for word, Luke did that. You get that at no extra charge today. Okay, so in past times, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, those that have been in the past. At many times and in various ways. Stop right there. So in many times, how did he speak to them in many times? Well, one of the ways is he spoke through visions or dreams. And we can see that clearly happening, particularly to we see that in the book of Daniel. But there are other examples as well where the prophet receives some kind of insight from God. He receives some kind of picture of God, great truth that came, and he wrote down what he saw. Most of those were in Paul, um, excuse me, in Daniel's writing, came through a vision, but others who came in dreams, shared with them. We think of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and how it was interpreted. So we have those examples that God spoke through various ways with them. 
There are other ways, however, that he spoke, and some of those were where God would uh, share with him by his divine appearance. And so he would come and appear, like we would see with Moses, in the burning bush. God appeared to him, and there he, he saw and saw the burning bush going, and these, they're called theophanies, these appearances of God. Also, we saw that God spoke through various ways of actually speaking and sharing with them, and they would hear God's voice in speaking. We found out not only when God, when Jesus was baptized, that he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, but he is also from the British, God spoke his words, and, and he heard the voice. Abraham heard the voice, do not take the life of Isaac. We heard the voice of there. So there also was the method of God communicating through his presence, and his presence we see in the sanctuary where he came and he led them with the pillar of fire at night and the cloud during the day. The Urim and the Thummim were there, those God things, giving communication to him. So God chose many different ways in the past, many different ways to reflect, many different ways to communicate with us through the written word. It is interesting that God found it important that he write that write down the scripture that we might have an accurate revelation as best we can through the word of God. And so God had authors write and share those events with us. So the first, first verse that he says, you remember all this in the past, we look in the past, we look in the back, we see our ancestors, they saw, they all learned through the prunes of the prophets and as came. But, verse 2, but. In these last days, stop. So what would he consider these last days? Well, we, sitting now, I can't believe this is 2020. Can you believe that? So I was growing up and I said, man, I'll be an old man by 2020. And all that's going on. I guess I'm not. I'm not an old man anymore. But I feel kind of young, actually. So, so uh, 2020 coming around, which we... Divide with the great event, don't we? With the appearance of Christ between B.C., before Christ, and then after his death, the years as we date things. 2020 comes from a, from a spiritual, from a religious thing that happened with Christ. And so we looking down, we would say, knowing what we know from Revelation, what we know from Daniel, what we know from the other prophets is, we are living in the last days, would we not? But if you are Paul... You think you're living in the last days. Eh? He thought he was living in the last days. Now, we can look at that, and when we see him in heaven, we can say, well, <laughs> yes, Paul, I, <laughs> if you will recall, I was reading your book 2,000 years after you read it. After you wrote it, I was there. Really? Really? Yep. Yep. Thank you very much. It was in English by then. Not the way you wrote it. So... In the last days, God, he spoke to us by his son. The greatest revelation of God comes through his son. So God revealed himself to the prophets. He revealed himself through the burning bush. He revealed himself Jacob's ladder. He revealed himself in many different ways to Israel. And to um, Adam and Eve, going all the way back, he, he revealed himself. But the greatest revelation, the greatest revelation of who God, he spoke to us, he chose to speak to us through his son. 
spoke to us, speak through his son. And so we can see, if you remember Thomas when he said, well, you know, you know, they come to him and they, the disciples said, well, show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So God revealed who he was through his son, the greatest manifestation of who he is. And so he spoke to us, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe stop there. Many people do not understand that it was actually the second person of the Godhead who actually did the creating. That Jesus did the creating. Now let's just think for a moment about that. Here we have, here we have the second person, the God coming down, the second person, the Christ, the anointed one, who forms Adam out of the dust of the earth. He breathes into the breath of life and he becomes a new creature. Never before on earth had there been this type of person. He creates humans, which is an act of incredible power to be able to do that. Almost all the others, he spoke and, and they existed, but this he carved and he did with his own hands. He breathed into him, became the breath of life. Something special, something different. Isn't that exactly with the same power that Jesus wishes to recreate in us a new creature? Same power. He had the power to create at the beginning. He certainly has the power to create now. Does he not? So, here he says he had the power on the universe to create. Verse 3. The sun is the radiance of his God glory. In other words, he's exactly the same. Because he is God. I was sitting on an airplane and I was traveling. And um, there was a Jewish woman sitting next to me. And she said uh, to me, uh, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And she said, oh, what is a Seventh-day Adventist? And I said, well, a Seventh-day Adventist is someone who keeps Saturday. She said, well, I'm a Jew, and I keep Saturday. I keep Sabbath. And I said, well, I do too, from sunset to sunset. And she said, oh, that's wonderful. But I, she said, how come you worship three gods? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When the Bible clearly says there is only one God. And I said, you're correct. There is only one God. But I would ask you, when God was creating man, when he bent down and said, how can we let us, let us, let us make man in our image? He used the plural. How did that work? She says, what? And I said, in Genesis, you understand that. You, you know that text. Let us make man in our image. Well, are you saying there's three gods? I said, no, there's only one God. One God. Only one God. But expressed in three personages. We'll save that for another day. And he's the exact representation of his being. You've seen me, you have seen the Father. Sustaining all things by the power of his word. And demonstrated that at creation. 
And after he had provided purification from sin, stop. So, so the purification of sin, they, he wanted to make sure as he's sharing this, that here is God who came down, who was the exact radiance, the exact copy of God. He was God, he came down, and then God provided for his creatures in order to make them a new creature, in order to be able to create in us a new creature. He provided for the purification of sins, for the forgiveness of sins, by Christ going to the cross. Paul said elsewhere, this is the first importance that Christ died for us, according to the scriptures. He died for us because he saved us by his death upon the cross. So he came and he had the, provided for the purification of sin, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Stop. Right there. Oops. I need to go back a little bit into Adventist history with you. William Miller, who began preaching about the second advent, began to preach that Christ was going to return to this earth in 1843 to 1844, somewhere in that time frame. And he made a prophecy chart that I've shown you here. I have a copy of it. Uh, made a prophecy chart outlining how this came out of the book of Daniel and out of Daniel 8, 14, and the, where he was able to see the great 2300-day prophecy coming to the end sometime in 1843-1844. It was Samuel S. Snow, who was more of a scholar, not so much of a soldier and a farmer, he was more of a Bible scholar, who pinpointed and said that the Lord was going to return on the Day of Atonement, the Antical Day of Atonement, which would be on October 22, 1844, that year. They discovered that during the summer of 1844. So, the first of the summer. So, they were looking forward to the time of Christ. As that day drew close, people got more prepared, people were getting baptized, there's quite a story about that. But on the day of October 22, people gathered in different spots. One place they gathered up in New England was at a place they called Ascension Rock. You can go there today, you can still see the rock itself, there's the shrubbery all around, just as it was then. It's quite a large piece of flat rock, where they were standing on, waiting, all dressed in their Sunday best to wait for the Lord to come and take them. At the end of that day, as the sunset, you probably already could surmise that the Lord did not return on October 22, 1844, if you're paying attention. So he did not come. What immediately followed was a great disappointment, that's called, the next day. So these early Advent believers were crushed Hiram Edson, after this, on the day of October 23, he was walking through a cornfield because he didn't want to walk out on the highway where people say, hey, I thought you were going yesterday. I haven't with your theology. What's the matter? Is your faith not strong enough? And to be mocked. So he was cutting, we believe, through this cornfield on his way back to his house. And as he was thinking, he was reflecting because they had emphasized the sanctuary, rightfully so, from Hebrews, from Leviticus, from other parts in Daniel, and in Revelation. And so they were looking at that and said, there must be a time when, what has gone on? And it came to him, 
Well, Jesus was not going to come to this earth. What was going is he was going from one compartment of the sanctuary into the other, from the holy place into the most holy place on October 22, 1844. And for a long time, Adventists latched on to that in their understanding of what had taken place, trying to figure out their theology about it, that that's what happened. But this text says something different. It says when he ascended into heaven, if you look closely, when he ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Well, where is the Father? He's in the most holy place. So Adventist theology, Adventist thinking had to, how do we handle that Jesus was going to sit down at the right hand of the Father if he's staying out in the most holy, in the holy place? And what developed was, well, what happened on October 22, 1844? And Adventism had a chance to grow up, as it were. All apologies to Hiram Edson. But to realize that there were the compartments, the sanctuaries, were not necessary in heaven. But the ministry was illustrated of what Jesus was going to do. And came the conclusion that we live in the last days. And that Jesus is preparing a people for his coming during these times. So there's a ministry to Ellen White calls it the ministry, the, uh, the benefits of his sacrifice, ministering the benefits of his sacrifice at these end times. So it's kind of an interesting story that follows that sitting down at the right hand of the Father. And going on, verse 4, so he became much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. What name did he inherit? What name did he get? Well, some would say, and conclude, say, well, what the name he got was Jesus. Because when the angel came and spoke, and gave, spoke to, uh, to Joseph, he said, Joseph, you are to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from his sins. Okay? That was Joshua, Joshua, Jesus, the same theory. He's a savior, a redeemer. Or some say, well, the name he was going is the son, because it mentions here. In Hebrews, that he was the son, calling on the name. Son would be considered higher, raising up. He is God himself. So, a, a, a higher implication. So, what appears to happen in this first three, four verses of Hebrews 1 is the sharing and the explanation of a great bit of uh, condensing of the great history that it went before, about Christ coming down in just a few verses. It's amazing that he has it within this. Because he was trying to share with people, trying to share with people who were concerned, is Jesus a prophet? Is Jesus greater than a prophet? Is Jesus greater than the angels? Is he superior to angels? How does that all fit? And so he gives this story right in the middle. He puts this right at the beginning to share with us. This is what's going to happen as I go into Hebrews, and we're going to look at that in the next few weeks. So what is that story as he lays this out and happens? He was answering what was in the minds of the believers, because by now, by the time he has written, people are having their doubts. You know, they were 
enthusiastic, they're going, but persecution is coming, they're having difficulties, and now they're going, are we believing as Christ is? Who is Christ? And the questions for the next 400 years began to circle around who Jesus really is. All right. But that was then. This is now. I rarely ever Ever. I don't think I in my entire ministry have anybody come in and say, is Jesus superior to the angels? I've never had anybody say that. I've never had anybody come in and ask me, is he superior to the prophets? I've never had anybody come in and ask, what is Jesus' role as a high priest in relationship to, to the Old Testament? Never had anybody had questions like that. So, we might just write off Hebrews and say, well, that's really not relevant. And some people have. But we would miss something. We like to think, we like to think, well, we've got this all figured out in our world because we are so focused on this world. This world, present world. That we don't have room in our minds for the world to come. We're, what's going to be coming? So we're, we're so focused on what's going to happen here. Our focus underneath, because you can watch it. Well, you can see all the stuff that's on television and all the things and crowded into our lives and all things. My, my morning was so busy this morning, I would run around trying to get everything done. Everything went, went sideways. It was going that, so I walked off without my computer. And I got here and I was carrying my thing and I said, boy, my, uh, my briefcase is pretty light. Well, there's a reason. Because we're all focused on, on this, this. And we also have half, half gods. We, we kind of, whether we like it or not, we kind of have, oh, we're the God of science, God of philosophy. We have those kind of things that kind of, but they never ask the question, never answer. Death, the half God of science, it never answers the question, why death? Why death? never answers. It never answers the question, how do I get forgiveness from my sins? It never answers the question, really, how do I become a new creature? never answers that. So the relevance in Hebrews, the elements of why we look at this book, is to get answers to those things today in our relevant world. And so Hebrews becomes very relevant as it shares to us what God's role, what Christ's role is in the world. And as we look at passages together, I think you will find that Hebrews will help, help you in your growth and in your development of understanding who Jesus is as it reveals to us the great truth. So the last thing that he wanted us to know. Jesus is the Logos, the Word. See, he revealed himself through the prophets. He revealed himself down through the, through the ages. But the greatest revelation, the Word he was, the, the message that he gave, the greatest thing he had was to reveal himself through his Son. And Jesus becomes the last word, the final word of God about who God is. If you want to know who God is, you get to know Jesus. You get to know what he's about. Begin this journey with me this year. 
as we look and see together, who is this man? Who is this man? Oh, I think I all know him. Let Hebrews open your eyes even more to understanding who he truly is. I thank you, Lord, for the great truth that you give through the book of Hebrews. I thank you for the beauty of it. And the, the, the condensation uh, that you've brought, this, brought things down so, so it's so small. In just a few verses, you, you've brought that. Such a great truth. The writer just used a few verses to mention such huge themes, huge thoughts. But in essence, what he's bringing us to understand is that Jesus is the word. And through his writing, may we now see Jesus more clearly. And how he lives in our lives and creates a new creature within us by his power in Jesus. Holy name. Amen.